Welcome to the Padres Chair, a commentary on real-life issues that can take many of us to a breaking point. Presented by Dr. Tim Schroeder, the Padres Chair provides insight, hope, and encouragement from the perspective of time-proven truths found in the Bible. In this six-episode podcast series titled Insurmountable Odds, Tim addresses the unusual circumstances surrounding COVID-19, economic hardship, racial tension, injustice, and the honest challenge we all face of knowing how to live well and honorably in 2020. Here's Tim. Before plunging into the heart of today's podcast, I want to take a minute to extend a deeply personal, rather high stakes request to any of you who will choose to take me up on it. I'm a chaplain for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I've been vitally connected to the police family for more than 30 years. So I'm just going to say this straight up. It has never been more difficult to be a police officer than it is today. I know hundreds of police personnel, and I can tell you firsthand that they are among the finest men and women you will find anywhere. Not racist, not prone to brutality, just courageous people committed to protect and serve. To quote Brendan Gallagher of the Montreal Canadiens, the police aren't racist. Bad police are racist. And yes, there are a few who need to be sorted out, but the overwhelming majority are desperately in need of our support today. And so if you will, take every opportunity you get. When you see a cop, thank him or her for their service. Find a way to encourage them. I believe the sorting that needs to happen will happen, But for all the rest of the great police officers out there, let's let them know we believe in them and have their backs. All right, now to today's topic. A couple weeks ago, at the urging of one of my children, I downloaded a traffic app designed to capture real-time feedback from other drivers about current road conditions, best routes to take, and so on. It points out stalled vehicles, radar traps, just about everything you need to know to choose the best route. The problem with this app? You have to decide whether or not you trust it. I wasn't using it more than a couple hours when it instructed me to take a detour off the main highway and travel on all kinds of back roads. It promised me I'd avoid a traffic jam and save 18 minutes. I gotta tell you, I doubted. I really doubted. But in the end, I decided to trust it. And it was right. Pretty much every decision in life is like that, isn't it? Some choices sound good, but they're always accompanied by doubts. How how do you ever really know? We live in an era with unprecedented decision-making tools. We have more information, more alternatives, higher speed ability to calculate and recalculate than at any time in history. And yet, most of us continue to find those crucial intersections rather daunting. It used to be more simple, I think. A while back, I sat in the office of a friend and noticed an oversized dice on his desk. Actually, I think dice is plural, and there was only one, so technically the term is die. But if I had just said there was a die on his desk, you likely wouldn't know what I was talking about. So I looked at him, I said, like, what's with that? Oh, he said, that's my decision maker. Here, take a few rolls. 
So I took the die and I rolled it. And as I did, I, I noticed it was no ordinary die. Instead of dots, it had life choices printed on each of the six sides. I rolled it once and it said, go fishing. A second roll produced, take a nap. Others included golf, go shopping, and, and so on. And he explained, whenever I have a really tough call to make and don't know what to do, I just roll the dice and let it decide for me. If only life was so simple. If only it could be navigated by a flip of the coin here, a fortune cookie there, or an emotion-based GPS to flawlessly guide us. When you find yourself at a critical junction, how do you choose? I'm not talking about those clear-cut moments where common sense makes it obvious. But those intersections with multiple, complex, often confusing options with high-stakes outcomes. How do you know what to do in those moments? Actually, I think it's even more complicated for those of us who are people of faith and add prayers for guidance to the equation. We, we want to do what God would have us do, and yet how do we really know what that is? Especially when each of us knows we have an uncanny capacity to convince ourselves that almost anything we really want is what God wants. One of those kinds of intersections is precisely where we find Gideon as we return to the story of his life. Israel, as you'll recall from previous episodes, is in dire straits. The Midianites have been abusing and ravaging them for years. And the people were desperate for help. So they cried out, and God heard, and sent an angel in the form of a stranger to Gideon, who was humorously hiding timidly in a wine press. And the angel comes to him and says, Hey, mighty warrior, God's heard the cry. Stand up and in the strength of God, go lead the charge to save Israel. Gideon says, like, you talking to me? Take on Midian? I think you got the wrong guy, angel. And he started to list a whole core of reasons why he couldn't do it. But he couldn't escape quite that easily. It was a clear-cut command, and he had to decide. Will I or won't I? How do you make that call? I don't want you to write off the magnitude and complexity of Gideon's situation as having nothing to do with you. You see, calls for action, calls that make a difference, are far more frequent today than you might think. And some of them come your way and mine. In fact, I suspect you might be facing one or more of them even while you're listening to this podcast. Let me give you a few examples. Do you know how many young people we're losing to the opioid crisis? What if God is calling you, no, not to solve the whole problem, but what if he's calling you to befriend the 19-year-old who lives on your street to become his or her only lifeline? Or do you know how many boys and girls are being led down horrific paths by online predators? What if God is calling you and your spouse to open your house so that the kids next door, instead of going home by themselves until their parents get home from work, can come and be in a safe, supervised environment? How about telling the truth? Do you know how many lies get propagated in our society every day? Lies about homelessness, lies about marriage, lies about COVID, lies about police officers, lies that just go unchallenged because no one has the will, wisdom, or courage to effectively challenge political correctness that's run amok. 
The, the list is almost endless. Helping youngsters who go to school each day without proper nutrition get food. Helping teenagers with a single parent and no extra money for driving lessons learn how to drive safely. Helping seniors at a high risk for catching COVID get their groceries, not once, but every week for months. Calls to action are everywhere. So how do you decide if one of them is for you? For the remainder of this podcast, we're, we're going to take a very simple approach to answering this question. We're going to take a step back and just watch the process of Gideon choosing. We're going to watch the good and the not-so-good of how he went about it. And maybe, maybe something in this exercise will become consequentially valuable to a decision you're wrestling with right now. So, if you're ready, let's go. Insight number one from Gideon. If you've got a decision to make, take the time to make sure you aren't deluding yourself. Because every single one of us is a master at self-delusion. Many cursory reads of Gideon's story miss what's actually going on here. Back in Judges chapter 6, verse 17, after God, through the angel, commissions Gideon to lead the change and overthrow Midian, after Gideon offers up all his excuses, after the angel assures him that God will be with him, we come to this important little verse, verse 17, where Gideon replies, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. What's the sign? Give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Well, we typically miss that. People have often heard the story of Gideon wanting signs, and, and they think he wanted signs to let him know what to do, but that's not what it says. It says he wants a sign so that he can know that it's really God who's behind it, that he's not just dreaming or making this up in his own mind. You see, Gideon knows something many of us haven't figured out yet, which is that we are all masters at self-delusion. We have an amazing capacity to convince ourselves that almost anything we want is what God wants. And so he puts in place an incredible process to slow the whole thing down to make sure. It's quite easy to miss the pace of this, especially in our microwave nanosecond time. This process Gideon initiated takes a while. He's got to go out and prepare a sacrificial meal, a young goat an ephah of flour to make bread. Now, here's the catch. We just read that, and none of us know what an ephah is. The, the sources I read said, that's about 40 pounds of flour, or in other words, this is a heck of a loaf of bread he's baking, and adding broth to it. This, this is no rushed deal. And then when he presents the meal to the stranger, the stranger says, hey, put this here on the rock, and, and he touched it with the tip of his staff. Verse 21 says, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. To, to any Israelite, fire on the altar, it's always a symbol of God. And Gideon became convinced through that process, totally convinced that God was behind it. He wasn't just making it up in his own mind. This stage of decision-making is so vital because one of the most insidious tendencies inside many of us is that we do what we really want to do ourselves and then we blame God for it. We assign the authority to do it to God and that never ends well. Now, sometimes it's a bit humorous. 
good friend of mine had a, a girl that he'd dated just a few times tell him straightforwardly that God had told her that he should marry her. It was pretty interesting because God hadn't told him that. Or years ago, when I was a whole lot younger and closer to the top of my game, I had two different churches contact me in the same week, each tell me that they had prayed and sought God's will and they were convinced I should become their pastor. Two of them in one week. Actually, the second call was the answer for me because although I'm not all that smart, even I knew that they both couldn't be right. God couldn't be behind that. There was something else going on. So you got a big decision pending? I think the first thing we learned from Gideon is just take the time to get over yourself. Take the time that, to make sure you're not assigning to God something you just want to do on your own. Make the sacrifice. Spend the time. Fast and pray and seek advice from those who will tell you the God's honest truth to make sure you aren't deluding yourself. Well, let's keep going. Second, got a big decision in front of you? The story of Gideon tells us that next step is to put your own house in order first. I, I wish this wasn't part of the story, but God never asked my opinion. Gideon is commissioned to overthrow the invading Midian army, but before he can do that, he's got another job to take care of. I don't know if you remember podcast one, the, the deep-seated cause of Israel's problem with Midian was that they had turned their back on God and engaged in the worship of a bunch of foreign gods. So now, verse 25, as, as Gideon's getting ready to answer the call, we read, The same night the Lord said to him, Now take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. What? Your father's altar to Baal? His Asherah pole? It's pretty hard to lead Israel back to God when you've got an altar to Baal in an Asherah pole in your own backyard. Now, not to bore you with any details, but Baal was considered the god of fertility and rain. In other words, people would tend to depend on Baal for life itself, for both food and for reproduction. And Asherah was his female fertility counterpart, often the object of ritual prostitution. And all this was going on in Gideon's own family home. And God says, hey, before we can go any further with your call, you better deal with your own stuff. That's not bad advice. We have today, on every side, political, religious, education, medical, on every side you choose to consider, we have a crisis of character, integrity, and morality. And I'm convinced that the crisis of leadership in our Western world is directly related to this character or sin flaw. And God is looking for men and women who are willing to have their own life cleaned up before they attempt to lead others. And so, got a decision looming in front of you? May I humbly suggest that an essential starting point might be a bit of house cleaning in the inner, or maybe even not so inner, recesses of your own soul. Third, got a decision to make? Do a trial run first. Trial run. As a Bible teacher, I'm, I'm always deeply amused and affirmed when contemporary leadership giants unearth profound leadership principles only to discover that those same principles were in play thousands of years ago in the biblical narrative. Here's a perfect example. 
Leadership guru Jim Collins of Good to Great fame, he made the significant discovery and pronouncement in his book Great by Choice that the most effective leaders follow the military adage of firing bullets before cannonballs. In other words, they do trial runs. They engage in real but lower stakes exercises before they bet the farm. Notice how God does exactly that with Gideon. His house-cleaning assignment is, first of all, essential for his own character, but it's also a test run. He gets ten men, not a whole army, just ten men, and he leads them through the challenge of destroying the Baal altar and Asherah pole. And there is pushback. The townspeople who liked those things wanted to kill him. So how is he going to handle the pressure? How will he deal with opposition? How does he do leading just this small test run before he engages in the full-scale adventure? Maybe I'm off base, but it seems to me that a not insignificant number of people believe today that if something is a call from God, it entitles them to take shortcuts. That maybe they don't need to study and prepare and engage in due diligence as much. After all, if God's behind it, why go through all that stuff? And as a result, we wind up with underwhelming mediocrity in many spiritual ventures. There are no shortcuts. Good decisions result from good diligence, including test runs. Now, some of you have never realized that something this practical is, in fact, in the Bible. Let me just suggest, if you've got a major decision looming before you, Take your cue from this. Just see how this unfolds with Gideon and apply it to your own situation. If possible, do a few smaller trial runs. Send up a few test balloons and learn from those experiences before you plunge full speed ahead. And for any of you who think that, well, this isn't really deeply spiritual, just read the Gospels and watch how Jesus apprenticed the disciples test after test after test, each accompanied by some teaching before he finally fully commissioned them to go out and reach the whole world with the good news. Take the time to do a trial run. All right, one more. Got a big choice in front of you? Don't be afraid to acknowledge your own doubts. Gideon's already had one miracle with the fire on the altar, and then he passed the trial run. You'd think he'd be ready to go, but he still has some doubts. Doubts which lead to the famous story of him putting out a fleece before God. Twice, because he sort of screws it up the first time. And once again, these, these tests are not to figure out what to do. They're to ensure that it's really God who's behind it. Verse 36, Gideon says to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. If it's you. If you're the one who's, who's got my back. Then he proceeds to describe how he'll put out a fleece on the ground for God to prove that it's him. He's got doubts. We all have. The difference is that authentic people address their doubts and deal with them and move in spite of them, while fakers pretend not to have them. I'm always a bit hesitant to make any declaration on behalf of God, so let me just put it this way. As best as I understand God, the, the little that I know of Him, I think He can handle your doubts a lot more readily than He can handle your dishonesty 
and pretense. Hundreds and hundreds of years after the point in history in which this event took place, a book was written which was included in the New Testament of the Bible. It's the book of Hebrews, where in chapter 11, we have what is sort of a hall of fame for great people of faith. It's a, it's a who's who of people that God used in history. And he guesses whose name is listed there. There we find Gideon with all his doubts. In other words, doubts do not disqualify you from following God. So, in your decision-making process, there's no need to pretend you don't have it all together. You don't have to pretend you got no doubts. You can trust God and move forward step by step, even when you're unsure. You know, throughout my career, I, I officiated at a lot of weddings. And one of my favorite moments would always occur about 15 minutes before the ceremony would start. Because there I'd meet with the groom and the groomsmen, and I'd watch as they all adjust their ties for the fourth time. And then I'd look at the groom and I would say, so, you nervous? And if he'd say, yeah, I am, I'd say, good. And if he'd say, no, no I'm, not, I'm not nervous, I, I usually would say to him, I would be. And then I'd just watch the puzzled reaction. Because I'd always say, this is a massive thing you're doing. It's good to be a little nervous. It shows you understand the seriousness of it. Answering a call of God really matters. So don't worry if you're a bit nervous, and don't bother hiding your doubts. Coming to the end of today's podcast, let me take a bit of my own medicine and acknowledge my fear or doubts about this one. My fear is that in listening to this talk about Gideon being called to save Israel, you might actually think it's about Gideon saving Israel. And it's not. Not at all. It's about you and me making great choices to do whatever it is God would have for us to do. Our world desperately needs courageous, wise people today who will stand up and lead the charge for right. Are you one of them? If you think answering the call is the end of the story, join us in the next episode because things really get interesting in a weird sort of way. Thank you for joining the Padres Chair. We hope that you walk away from this moment with lots to think about and some deeply ingrained hope. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode.